Hello, I'm Tim McLaughlin, and this is a Maywa podcast. In March of 2008, CBC Radio's Cheryl McKay came to the Maywa loft and did an interview with Charlotte Kwan, owner of Maywa Handprints and director of the Maywa Foundation. The interview aired on March 22nd on Cheryl McKay's program, North by Northwest. We asked Cheryl if we could post the interview on our website, and she agreed. So in this episode, we present the original interview as it aired in March of 2008. I first discovered a store called Maiwa on Granville Island, oh, a number of years ago when I was living in Vancouver. And I used to love there to go there and, and buy clothing, clothing that was made of this incredible linen or cotton, dyed with natural dye and in all kinds of very very stylized pieces of clothing, very simple styles. And the more I went there, the more I found out about Maiwa, the store, and the company. It started off in 1986 and originally designed to trade with craft people, traditional craft people around uh, countries in the world, based on a very ethical business model. They were dealing with artisans who embroider, who do block printing, who do hand weaving, and who naturally dye textiles. And over the years, after starting as an importer and doing this work with cooperatives in various countries in the world, Maiwa has grown to be also a foundation, an organization that creates a number of publications and iPod casts and DVDs. And Maiwa does a number of workshops and symposia for artisans and craftspeople in North America and has just contacted and connected and supported hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of artisans who are doing very high-level, very creative work in countries like India and Bangladesh and Pakistan. And so uh, finally, after many years of wanting to do this, I made an arrangement to go and talk to Charlotte Kwan. And Charlotte is the founder and still the woman behind Maiwa, who makes it all happen, who's the sort of the, the source with all the other people who've become involved of what Maiwa does here and other places in the world. So I went to see Charlotte, and I got to go upstairs over the building in the net loft on Granville Island, where the Maiwa store is, up into, I guess, the inner sanctum of Maiwa. And it's also a place where many, many researchers have gone as well, because on the shelves in the cupboards up there are dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds, of pieces of work, pieces of beautiful embroidery in every color under the rainbow, in exquisite stitching, including mirrors and all kinds of other elements that have been added in. And before I began to talk to Charlotte about the company, I asked her to tell, take me on, a, I guess, a bit of a tour of this treasure trove in the office. This is the embroidery. So what we do is we keep the here and all these cupboards. Wow. We keep the best work of the artisans that we work with in India. We keep the best work that they do at the current time. And and it's always, always getting better and better. So we've got embroideries from Kutch on the Pakistan border. We've got embroidery. This is all embroidery. So we've got Kanta stitched embroidery from uh, Bengal and Bangladesh. And we've got work from South India from Kerala and Karnataka and work from Kutch, Rajasthan, Sindh, as well as Pakistan. So, um, Charlotte, when you look in here and when you see some of these pieces, what comes to your mind? You must be able to picture some of the artisans, definitely the, the places. Artisans. Almost every, every piece here, I, I know each artisan that's uh, done the piece. 
And really, we receive it. I, I work in India a long time I mean, before we actually get the work. So, for instance, some of these pieces have taken two to three years. So I've seen the beginning of the piece, the middle of the piece. I've seen babies being born during the piece. I've seen their daughters getting married during the piece. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's such a, um, it, it's a story by the time it gets here. And by the time it gets here, it's always uh, an, an absolute joy to open these packages. And they come in drips and drops and they come by couriers and post and so forth and never quite know what we're going to get. I mean, sometimes we have huge consolidated shipments by air and by sea, but you never know what might come from a group or a village or a family. As you stand here and look at this, is there any one piece that strikes you that you can just go, I could tell you this story? Oh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm in love with all the styles of embroidery, but right now my love is Banjara, which is this group um, in the south of India, and they, they travel around. They do the most remarkable pieces. Um, they work a lot in construction. There's a lot of construction going on in India right now, and they take their embroideries with them. So their embroideries are quite small, like these pieces. You have to describe this, yeah, the this color, is, the line. I, it's just, they're all these squ squares on top of squares and kind of, uh, but, but nothing's actually square about this piece. It just sort of undulates all the way down. And um, you've got colors that you wouldn't necessarily see other groups putting together. The Banjar are very powerful, very, um, very strong women. And they they like to uh, they they shout through their embroidery. They say what they want to say in no uncertain terms through their embroidery. They when you see them, they wear all their all their adornment all the time. Even when they're working in the um, you know pouring concrete or or carrying sand or so forth, they have everything that is beautiful. They wear and they're quite stunning to see. And they they like to make a lot of noise. They wear lots of jingly things to. Um, uh, attract attention, which they uh, they adore. And, and you're talking about the colors here, the vibrant. Yeah, the You've got yellow vibrant. and red and purple and orange. Such a distance, yeah. you know. You can, and you know, with many of these uh, nomadic peoples and people that live in the desert, that is the reason for the embroidery. It's so that they are very quickly identified. Very quickly, they know who to sit with on the bus, who to get on the camel train with, who to or a camel cart with, and and where it's okay and where it's not okay. And and it's a very highly identifying aspect of of their culture is their embroidery. Is there so, another piece you can pull out? Oh, uh, well, and then, you know, it, a lot of people would say that these, this is, you know, fairly, like, quite similar, but it's a completely different group. These are the Rabaris, and they come to the Kutch area and Rajasthan. They've come uh, from, the, from the east, they've migrated west, and now you'll see many of them in Kutch. And this is embroidery, again, very intricate, and it has, again, very vibrant colors and the mirrors all installed. Mirrors, and big mirrors. Sometimes the mirrors are used to make the embroidery go a little faster, uh, so they'll do bigger and bigger and bigger mirrors, which is really quite funny on them. And uh, But the the strength of their stitch shows the the strength uh, also of their of the community. Uh, there's another one that's a very... Um, sweet stitches, the mutwas. And the, this is so different. It's so subtle. so different. It's so subtle. The stitches are tiny. The mirrors are tiny. And these are mutwa, and they're a Muslim group. The women do not uh, leave the village, or very seldom leave the village. They, oh, they don't mix up with other groups. They don't travel on buses. They rarely will go even to a to a road, in fact. You know, they stay very much within the cluster of their of their homes. And their work reflects that. It's funny because we have meetings there. Um, 
from time to time where, where there's maybe a, this is a, one cooperative and there'll be a dividend sharing. So we do that in front of everybody. Otherwise, there's lots of village politics. And uh, so this group will, you know, they're always trying to get, well, we don't really like it when the rabbis, the rabbis come in and they're just so, they always want to sit at the front. And you know, I think you should push them to the back. You know, we never get to be at the front. And it's very, very great. The, 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 the nature, the, the, um, uh, their natures come through in their embroidery. The colors and you here can see are beautiful. That. The colors are subtle, and yeah. their work is subtle. And they're always saying, you know, our our mirrors are so tiny, and people don't really see them. Whereas the Rabari mirrors, as you've seen, are so big. And, and these are like little jewels. They are like little jewels. They're, they they uh, use mirrors sometimes. The Rabari, the sorry, the Matwa are the mirrors are just literally all over, but they're still tiny, tiny, tiny. And there's two stories there that they talk about that they that water is such an issue. So um, they always try to make their piece look like it's water because water is so precious. And they also uh, live in an area, if you ever sleep in Kutch, I mean, you sleep under the stars and there's just more stars than you can ever imagine that there are in the sky. And so that's another thing they say, well, we try to put all the stars in our pieces. Whereas the Rabari say their mirrors are for warding off the evil eye, you know, and so their mirrors are bigger and they have bolder. that. Bolder, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And they flash and they, you know, okay, stay appropriate here. Charlotte, does it ever amaze you how much you know about this that you didn't know, I don't know, 30 years yeah, ago? Yeah, it is true, but they're always teasing me and saying I know nothing. You know, they ask me, what do you see in this piece? And I go, is, there's a language to embroidery. There really is. There, it is a very um, significant language for women, a language that often they're in groups where they don't have a language of their own. They're maybe having to speak through their fathers or their husbands or their, their brothers or so forth. So the women often have to, the actual verbal language they have to curb. But their embroidery, they have a terrific freedom through. And some embroiderers, like in the Kanta in Bengal and Bangladesh, the Kanta embroiders, because it's a running type of running stitch, it's very um, conducive to storytelling. And, but with the embroiders of Kutch and Sindh, you have to really look and, oh, these are, this shows their, uh, they were married to this type of, you know, married into this community, this how long they were married, how many, how many cattle they have. That's another really big thing is how many cattle they have. Oh, I've tried to find a piece that, that shows that. This actually piece shows their, the grass. So this piece, this is actually grass, it's these kind of very organic looking images and they're done in sort of a green and a, and a gold yeah. light gold and a darker gold so when they put that in they have they have they're not in a drought period they're in a they're in a uh, uh, I mean, this is an area that can have eight years of drought so grass is hugely important the amount of camels that they embroider onto their skirts or their tops is very important so those things I can read now. I can't read the subtlety like this woman went to Sindh and she met this other woman and then that design came onto her skirt and they, they tease me all the time. You just can't, you're just never going to learn our language ever. It's taking you 20 years. I've been working with them for 20 years for, and I still, you know, they, they bug me all the time. And they go, you write and write and write all the time. You're taking notes all the time. You don't remember anything. <laughs> or you, don't, you don't just stitch it. Yeah, and I know. They said you should just stitch. My guest in this half hour on North by Northwest is Charlotte Kwan, and Charlotte is the founder and the manager of Maiwa, which is a company based in Vancouver, supporting traditional craftspeople in India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and other countries as well. We continue our conversation. We've been looking here at some of the embroideries and the incredible treasure trove that Maiwa has above the store on Granville Island. And we'll continue the conversation now where I asked Charlotte about how the economics work between the company, between Maiwa, 
Myla and the craftspeople? The relationship is that everything is very, very transparent. They set their own costing. Of, um, we've had to actually get involved to push the costing up. That is all often an issue. They don't want to price uh, things uh, above what their husbands would make. But we've had to work very hard to have them understand that they have such a skill that ha that's, has inheritance value for their children. But if their children don't see them being able to uh, live from this skill, then they're not going to carry it on. So um, the relation, the, the reason for MIWA even existing is that we saw a need to support the very excellent artisans. So there's there's a good, healthy support of the average artisan. So uh, the tourist industry does that, and uh, mass-produced craft does that. But what was happening um, is that the benchmark of craft is lowered that way because just the, the mediocre to the medium quality of these, for instance, we're talking about embroidery, so that embroidery is, um, is reached. And uh, because the, the artisan that does excellent work, they're no, not at this current time able to find a local market. Right. Weddings, for instance, was their big market. A lot of that has changed to a very... Uh, quite a desire for the Bollywood wedding or uh, the Western wedding, God forbid. And uh, <laughs> uh, some of their markets have been taken away and in quite a short period of time. So that's where we come in. And we I don't think the export market is necessarily the best market for a community, mm. but it's a market. And it's a market that keeps that, is able to afford to buy that excellent work. Charlotte, when did you decide or when did you know that this was what you had to do? It I've been a natural dyer for for many years, for twenty over twenty years, and my and a weaver and a surface designer. And uh, my my idea was to do my own work, and I had this great idea to go uh, whenever I had travel money to travel where there was dyes, natural dyes, indigo or madder, cochineal or all these wonderful um, colors from the earth and use them in my work in a storytelling kind of way so that I'd, I hadn't quite figured it out whether it would be in a book form or through recipes or whether I would embroider recipes or weave recipes. I just loved the aspect that you could get color from the earth and that back 20 years ago, it, it, it has had a huge revival, but back 20 years ago, it was such an odd concept. Um, and so few people, fewer, fewer and fewer people were doing any, were getting the colors from plants and so forth. So that really intrigued me. I thought I was on to something. And uh, then I would sit with people and, and their work was unbelievable. I mean, I had had the luxury of being able to choose to be a surface designer. You know, I, I felt very overprivileged, actually, that I had gone to got to go to college and got to study weaving and I didn't come from any weaving background my dad's like in real estate you know it's like here these people who were bringing forth unbelievably complex work and and knowledge generation after generation after generation were almost all talking about their sadness that they were probably going to be the last uh, of their generation to do it. It takes uh, only a generation for hundreds and hundreds of years of, of information and and work and, and, and aesthetic and so forth to get handed down and, and nurtured and, and um, honed. 
and uh, I and I was shocked actually that 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 it could disappear and that it was actually disappearing. I was traveling at that time in Thailand and Indonesia and uh, south of China, uh, Laos, Vietnam, those two places. So yeah, it was um, it was shocking, and it was kind of that epiphany that you go through and think. Do I really need to do another piece? Really? Do I really? Could I find creativity in supporting these artisans and getting behind them? And as a weaver and as a uh, dyer and so forth, I I knew what could they could do, and I knew what to expect and what the issues were and what their problems were. I mean, weather's a huge problem. Monsoon, the cycle of monsoon, monsoon is a huge aspect of textiles change dramatically at different times and that's not understood in our in our world of you know the just in time kind of <laughs> getting our, your product yeah, and are being sheltered from all the elements <laughs> exactly and and not understanding you know well we can't ship that to you right because we can't actually dye it and get that color right now we have to wait for three months for the weather to change and you just maybe can't tell uh, somebody who's you know, book their booth at the New York gift show, <laughs> that, <laughs> that their work is going to be a little late. <laughs> so they get stuck in these, um, these uh, dichotomies of, 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 of needing the West, needing to trade with the West, because they need that, um, they need that value for their work. Mm -hmm. And yet the West ha having so little understanding of what it, what craft is, and it can't be traded the same as you know, DVDs sort of thing. And I mean, When you're talking like this, it strikes me that sometimes it must be like a bit of a, a treasure hunt in that way, too. Somebody will tell you about, oh, you should visit this group, or mm. you should you should go down the road a bit and look at that. I, is it like that? It is. It is like that. And it, it's actually, we just took a group to India. It was fabulous. And, uh, you know, I would just love it if, if um, you know, because all 20 left feeling like they, they really wanted to do something and their lives will never, ever be the same from meeting these people, and, and vice versa. The lives of the artisans will never be the same from having met this wonderful group uh, from Vancouver. And, uh, but they do feel that very deeply. Everybody felt the, the need to um, find all the different... It doesn't all have to be the way my was done it. There can be lots of different ways of, of supporting craft, and it doesn't all have to come from India. It's, it's support craft everywhere, here and everywhere. It's never too expensive. If people that, that travel and, and buy a piece, I mean, the, the first, they, they come back and it's sitting in their home and there's, it's maybe a throw on a couch, whatever, and they, they have a story, the immediate connection with somebody and something and some person, and that is the strength of, of handcrafted. And everybody's heard the, the is craft art and is art. You know, is it part of that whole thing? There's no question. There's no, there's no argument there. They both fine art needs to exist. Absolutely, it teaches us to look up and out and outside our box and makes us question. And but craft it helps us belong to a world and know that um, there are so many ways of living. There, life is so diverse. There are so many ways. Uh, of the other, the so-called other, and there's so many, um, it, it really then raise, raises a curiosity. You want to know who, who stitched this? It is remarkable. Who could, who could do that? And it makes you want to know more, and that has always been the role of craft. It's always been traded. It's always gone somewhere else, and uh, it's always been a part of, of the, the storytelling 
uh, aspect of one culture to another. This is who we are. This is what we do. We are the best stitchers. We do. We make the tiniest mirrors <laughs> on the planet, and we stitch them in, and they'll never come out. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you so much. It's very inspiring to get a chance to talk to you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> it's just been lovely, Cheryl. That is Charlotte Kwan, and Charlotte is the founder and the manager of Maiwa, based in Vancouver, but with effects all around the world. And you can check out the website just to get an idea of some of the scope of the things that Maiwa is up to between the stores and the foundation and the publications and the documentaries. Check it out at maiwa.ca, and that's M-A-I-W-A. That's how you spell it, and you can just check out that website. I'll put a link on the North by Northwest website as well so you can go and have a look at all they're up to. You've been listening to CBC Radio host Cheryl McKay's interview with Charlotte Kwan. The interview was originally aired on March 22, 2008 on North by Northwest. If you would like more information about Maywa or the Maywa podcasts, please visit our website at www.maywa.com. I'm Tim McLaughlin. Thank you for listening.